0: Welcome to Victory Church's online podcast library. We hope you enjoy this message today. I want to just jump right in this morning. Of course, you know, this is Palm Sunday, right? Palm Sunday was, it was the day of the Lord's final announcement. He made his final announcement and they weren't the people that were there. There was all kinds of different types of people in the city that particular that particular Sunday. And, um, you know, they all saw, you know, whether whether you're in touch with this or not, we all see the world from our own viewpoint. Every one of us. Oh, you say you can say it's not about me all you want, but it is. It always is. It's always about you. So there's all these different people with different perspectives and different preconceived ideas and notions about what this day was about. And um, lots of people were in town that particular day. You know, there's estimates. I was reading a commentary recently, and they said that they would... Uh, this was, of course, um, Pentecost. It was, it was a, a spillover from Passover, which had just happened. And they said that they did a census back about this time. They don't know exactly the year that Christ was crucified, but about that year, that same time frame, they did a census of all the lambs that were slain in Jerusalem in that one week. And that one particular week, there was 200,000 lambs. That's a lot of sheep. 200,000. Now, here's the, here's the formula. You can do the math. They were required, in order to have a Passover meal as a family, you had to have at least 10. So that means there was, if, those, if that math is correct, if those numbers are right, which is what this commentary said, that means there was over 2 million, 2.5 million people in Jerusalem that particular week. With normally the, the population was, oh, I've heard the population is something like 100,000. So there was quite a lot of guests in town that week. They'd come for a special occasion. They really didn't know how special the occasion was. They thought they were, you know, some came again for all kinds of different reasons. Some came just because it was their one-time shot that they had to do it at least once in their lifetime as a Jewish adult. And some came because they'd heard of this, this Messiah figure that had showed up from Nazareth in Galilee. And some had even come because they'd heard of this guy in Bethany had been raised from the dead. And there's all kinds of different reasons that people were in town that particular week. And it says, this is the story from John's perspective. John 12, starting with verse number 12. Um, this ne- the next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, Passover, Pentecost feast. They'd come, and like the, I said, maybe two million people. When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. They took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried. They were crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. This was a messianic cry, a cry for the messianic promise, that Christ would come and the Messiah would come, whatever that meant. And so um, then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, said on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now, the, the problem was, like I said, everyone had a, a different view of what was going on that week, depending on their the way they were filtering the information that they had at their disposal and their life. And many of them, many of the, the probably the vast number of the crowd, the vast number of that crowd did not want Roman occupation of Israel. They wanted the Romans out. Now this made the Romans nervous that week more than any other week. Tensions were high because if there ever was going to be an opportunity for the Jews to get rid of the Romans, it would probably happen when two million Jews were there available. So tensions were high. People's nerves were on edge. And they were saying, this is it. Save now. Save now. Save now. Save now. This is our moment. This is the moment we've been waiting for. This, in in their perspective, was the way that they could get a a king that would come and fix everything that was wrong with their world. But the problem was, was much bigger than that because Jesus didn't come just to fix the problems in this world. That's why they missed out on what he was doing. That's why many, many, many and most missed what he was doing because they had preconceived ideas about, about what he was doing. They had preconceived ideas about what, what the Messiah was supposed to do, what the kingdom was about, what Israel's role was. They had they had read their, their Bibles, but they'd gotten it wrong. You know you can read your Bible and get it wrong. And many of them had. They'd come to wrong conclusions. And that's what Jesus was coming to make His announcements. And His announcement was being made with this great display. He couldn't really talk to everyone that was there. But He was, he was showing in His actions. He was showing a display by His actions. It was a living parable being lived out in this public arena. This is why I'm coming. And he came and he, he, he found on purpose. He didn't find a, a white charger and he didn't come with an army, but he came on a donkey. Barefooted on a donkey riding into Jerusalem. Not dressed in royal robes, not in a fine chariot, not with weapons or with an army. But he came as a king, but not that kind of king. He came as a king from another world. He came announcing the coming kingdom. He came in the fulfill, fulfilling or announcing the, the fulfillment of his prayer. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come on this earth as it is in heaven. And that's what he was doing. He was announcing it. There was palms being the palm leaves and they were crying, Hosanna. But if you looked even closer at this great scene, the, the 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 parable, the living parable was being lived out as you examined the people that were close by Jesus' side. Oh, the crowd was huge and the tensions were high, but his closest followers were like shadows clinging to his sides. And one of those who was closest, who wouldn't, would not leave his side for those last few days before Jesus died. One of his closest followers in those days was a man by the name of Lazarus. Lazarus. That name erupted fear in the hearts of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The name Lazarus ended all of their arguments. They hated Lazarus more than they hated Jesus. They had all sorts of arguments about the resurrection. But who is going to argue with Lazarus? He didn't have to say any words. All he had to do was smile and point to Jesus. That's all he had to do. You know, at the end of the day... If you've figured it out, that's all you have to do. Just smile and point to the one who's on the donkey. Just point to him. That's all you got to do. So Lazarus, he was dancing. There's no, there had been a dance in these streets since David that was like this kind of dance. Nobody had danced with freedom and joy since the days of David until they saw Lazarus dancing like a drunken fool with a smile on his face, pointing at Jesus, dancing without words. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was in that tomb for four sorry days, but now I'm alive forevermore. And of course... You know, right there in the middle of it all was another one. Lazarus' sister, Mary of Bethany. Some say she was the same as Mary Magdalene. She was a worshiper of Jesus. She was there and she had already said what she had to say. She had had her confrontation just maybe the night before she had her her confrontation with one of the apostles themselves, Judas. Had had tried to a, attack her and Jesus defended her. But, but Mary, Mary had a revelation that the, even the other inner circle had not gotten at this point. Yeah. Mary had a glimpse of something that even Peter and John hadn't seen yet. Yeah. Mary had seen and Jesus said what this woman saw and what she did will be remembered and proclaimed until the end of the age. Yeah. What did she see? What did she see? She saw the value of the death of Christ. That's what she saw. She poured out her soul. She poured out her alabaster box. She poured out her wealth. She poured out her tears. She poured out her very life on the feet of Jesus. And Jesus explained what she was doing. He said, she's anointing my body for the burial. So she was there on the scene. She was part of this living parable. Dancing and celebrating with tears of joy in her face. She was crying for the death of her Savior. But she knew in her heart of hearts that she was part of the great victory dance. And this is what it was all about. Oh, the others couldn't see it yet. The crowds couldn't see it yet. They wanted a different kind of king. They didn't want this kind of king who was going to die. They wanted a political leader, a ruler. But this is what they had. And of course, you know, the list goes on. You could follow down the story. And in this In this dance, dancing celebration, there was, there was another that was certainly there. He had just been, he had just joined forces just maybe a week before. Jesus had been going on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. He passed through the last town on the road to Jerusalem, which was a town by the name of Jericho. And there was a man, there was a couple of men that lived in Jericho that Jesus picked up along the way. They began to follow him down the roads. One of them was a man by the name of, of Bartimaeus. He was known as Blind Bartimaeus. Everyone say Blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus. Now the thing about, about Bartimaeus, if you read the story of Bartimaeus, he had been blind all his life. He had never, he had never seen, but now he was seeing you know that was that was that was like a, a major contrast to the rest of this vast crowd. There's one who was used to be blind but, but now he could see, there were thousands there that thought they could see who were actually blind. They couldn't see it. The Pharisees were blind. They were angry when Jesus went into the temple and began to heal the blind people. They were, they were blind and they couldn't see. And now the blind people were now seeing and it just threw everything into a, a total confusion for the Pharisees. Who is this guy cleansing the temple and opening the eyes of the blind? And of course, the, in that entourage, there was another one by the name of Zacchaeus. And his existence was, 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 he he was, he was hated for his very existence by the Jews. This guy of all people to join this band. He was a a publican, a tax collector, a chief tax collector. He was hated more than, he was hated more than the Romans were hated because he was a a traitor who worked for the Romans. He made his living by ripping off his own brothers. And now, he was he was forgiven. All those years of living for the other side, he was forgiven. In one sweeping moment, in one meal in his house, one glance, glance by Jesus when he was on top of that tree, one kind word, and his life was changed. Forgiveness swept his life, and all those years of darkness and anger and hatred and stealing from his it was all washed away in one moment. And he'd followed Jesus in the way. And of course, there was the lame man that was there in the streets as well. He would, he had been, been lame from his mother's womb as well. 38 years he'd been, he had been born that way. He'd been born that way. And now he's following Jesus dancing and singing. He'd never danced before. He'd never, ever danced before. He was dancing now. He would dance the rest of his life. He would never stop. If anyone was going to outdance Lazarus that day, it was this guy. He was going to dance. But let's just go a little bit further as we look into this. There's a couple of other things I want to notice as we're moving through the streets of Jerusalem. There was the children. The children caught the attention of the Pharisees. The children offended the Pharisees more than anyone else. They'd put up with the blinds. And they put up with the healing. They'd even put up with Lazarus up to this point. But this was one poke over the line for them. They couldn't take any more. Matthew 21:16. He said, the Pharisees start screaming, Don't you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, haven't you read from the mouths of infants and nursing babes? You've prepared praise for yourself. Now here's one paragraph from, from a blog that I wrote. Apparently the children were strangely attracted to Christ. There's something about children, beautiful humility and honesty that's closely associated with the kingdom of God. This day, Palm Sunday could easily, could be easily called a day of separation. The religious leaders were terrified by the crowd and what the Romans might do. The Roman soldiers just wanted the people to go home and be quiet. Many of the common people, especially the adults, were hoping for a revolution. Finally, these horrible Romans would be thrown out. But for the children, it was a different situation. The children were singing. They didn't care about Romans. They didn't care about politics. They didn't care about all the religious ramifications of the day. They were caught up in the moments. And for them, it was just a time to sing. So what did Jesus mean when he said to be, we had to be converted and become like children? I think he was talking about humility and honesty. Only the pure in heart can see God. And only the humble can worship. Only the pure in heart can see God and only the humble can worship. Proud people can't and will not ever worship. It's pride that shuts your mouth. It's pride that keeps you from acknowledging His greatness. Humility opens your mouth. And you begin to join with the children in a place where you don't care what other people think about you. You'll never care again because you've seen His greatness. And you're going to join with the other children. You're going to be converted and become like one of them and sing and dance in the kingdom of God. After all, this almost 2,000 years have passed since that first Palm Sunday. But Jesus is still looking for His children. After all, that's the reason that He came. Now, I've been waiting I've got, I wrote this blog yesterday. I'm going to finish with this today. I want to share this with you. This to me is... I, I, I saw this. I saw it like a backwards. You know, sometimes the kingdom of God is like it's backwards. It's, it doesn't... It's the, your first impression is often wrong. And that's what I saw as I was thinking about this scene. Matthew, Mark 11 from Mark's Gospel. Those who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. What exactly were the crowds shouting about that fateful day that Jesus entered into Jerusalem for the last time? Was it praises they were shouting? Or was there something else at the root of their cries? Actually, Hosanna was a Hebrew word which means save now. They thought they were crying out for a Messiah. For salvation. But they had a different kind of salvation in mind. All they could think about was their current situation. Listen carefully to me. All they could think about was the stuff they were going through right now in 2021. That's all they could think about. What I'm having to face when I get up tomorrow. My bills. The social challenges. The political climate. All the stuff I face every day at work when I go to work. That's what I'm dealing with. All they could think about just fix that and I'll be okay. I'll be good. Just fix it where I don't have this wear this blasted mask and I'll be okay. All they could think about was their current situation. They were crying for some sort of political, social, or economic salvation. They wanted a king to replace the Romans. Now here, this is where it gets strange. But maybe, just maybe... Their hearts were crying for something else. Maybe they didn't really know what they were crying for. Is it possible the Holy Spirit was taking their prayers, their misguided prayers, and interpreting them? Because after all, we don't know how to pray as we ought. We think we do. But maybe these were just groans coming from the deepest parts of their life. They didn't know how to utter what was really there and what their real need was. So the Holy Spirit began to interpret these cries for help. Are you following me? Maybe, just maybe, their hearts were crying for something else. It reminds me of the cry of the young people in 2020. As the streets of America filled up with the youth crying out for some kind of social salvation. I wonder if God is reshaping these prayers like he did on that Palm Sunday. Maybe he hears save now and he translates it into a cry for spiritual intervention. Think about it. The cry of the crowd went from save now to crucify him. The Lord interpreted the prayer and sent the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all mankind. One minute they're crying, save now. The next minute crucifying. The next moment, the Holy Ghost was falling on many of the same people. They thought they were praying, right? They didn't know. But the Holy Ghost said, I'm going to fix this. This is what they really are praying. Is it possible that the cries of our current generation are being shaped into a prayer by God Himself? We really don't know how to pray as we ought. So the Spirit steps in and begins to pray for us and through us. That's one of the great ministries of the Spirit. He interprets our prayers. Maybe that's what happened last year. Maybe our misguided cries for political salvation were translated into a cry for God's salvation to visit our lands. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So could it be that the cries for systemic change to our American culture were heard and translated by the Lord into, let us worship? <laughs> is it possible that God heard that and said, no, this is what you mean. <laughs> Your cry for systemic change, but God says, well, I'm going to send worship instead. So could it be that the cries for systemic change to our American culture? were heard and translated by the Lord into to let us worship. After all, that's what happened in the 1960s. We were crying for revolution in the streets. We were picketing in the streets. We were crying for a, revol- a political revolution. We wanted to overthrow our government. We wanted to destroy the military, industrial military complex, whatever that was. We wanted to get rid of it. And you know what happened? We, that's what we were crying in the streets. That's what we were crying for. A generation was crying for that. It was just like crying, crucify, crucify, crucify. And the Lord sent the Jesus movement instead in the 1960s. He said, no, this is what you This, This is what I hear. I hear your heart. I hear your cry. I hear your longing. And what you're longing for is me. What you're longing for is a change on the inside. I'm sending my glory in this generation. So I believe the Lord has heard the cry of His people. He's heard the cry of the lost in 2020. He's heard the cry for a change in America. And he says the only way this country will ever change again is by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how it will change. That's the only way it will change. You're not going to educate it into change. You're not going to politicize it into a change. You're not going to vote it into a change. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Visit our website at www.victorychurchnola.com for service times and more information.